are tuned in to the Way of Healing podcast, where we inspire humans to connect more deeply to their experience of life. My name is OJ. My name is Casey. We are connecting with practitioners to talk about the potential of the innate healing powers within. Welcome back to the Way of Healing podcast. We are so excited today to be sitting down with Lindsay Kimura, crystal healer, wisdom teacher, soul sister I've discovered just in you know a few short minutes that we've had together and Lindsay so happy to have you here today welcome Lindsay thank you for for coming on the show yes thanks so much for having me guys I'm really excited so as we continue to explore different modalities of healing uh, one of the ones that I really wanted to get into when I first started this was crystal healing because crystals are absolutely fascinating and it brings us back to Mother Earth and to Gaia. And Lindsay works with these amazing crystals and she has crystals all over her apartment. And when you walk in, you can feel the energy of all these crystals just radiating. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about what you do and how you got into crystals. Definitely. So as a child, I loved just crystals in general, like on all my tables, I had different forms of amethyst, rose quartz, geodes, even those bookends over there are from childhood. So I just always loved the part, the fact that they're part of the earth. And so as I got older, I think, you know, when you go through school, you kind of lose, or at least I lost touch with some of those magical tools toys and tools I had as a kid, but I revisited, I want to say 2012 is when I got all my crystals out and I got my tarot cards back out. And I'm like, something drew me to the tools. And like you said, crystals are such a uh, special piece of the earth. And the definition of a crystal is just a unique uh, repeating geometric lattice. Mm. So there can be many things that are crystals, right? They can be organic or um, they're inorganic minerals, but they can be man-made or natural. Um, But it's that unique sacred geometry within each one that creates a vibration. So during life, like when we're out of balance, the crystals stay in their integrity and structure so they can help us come back to our state of balance just by simply being the crystal itself. There's nothing more required. Very cool. Um, Yeah. So I just always uh, was drawn to them, not only the color, but the vibration. And I have a teacher named Naha Armadi. She has a school called 22 Teaching School of Hermetic Science and Magical Arts. And it was neat to find a teacher who's literally down the street to formally teach in-person classes because I feel like out there right now, there are crystal certifications and healings, but it's hard to find an actual school, like crystal Mm -hmm. school. So other than, you know, reading books, knowing from my personal experience, online study, actually going to this school helped me really dive in and almost made me feel legitimate to actually work with them. Because I have something about being pretty cognizant of getting the proper schooling certifications in addition to the intuitive aspect of kind of knowing how to work with them. Is that out here in Los Angeles? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We're still in LA guys. (laughs) (laughs) Till further notice. Yeah. (laughs) So you use crystals for healing. Can you describe what that's like? Yes. So 
crystals are tools to support healing. And you guys are familiar with Reiki and massage. Uh, So crystals can be additional tools, not only for the physical body, because they are the element of earth, but they also contain the element of air, fire, water, spirit. uh, So they can help us move energy just like needles and acupuncture can. And crystals all have a unique vibration. So if you may be experiencing a blockage in the physical body, a certain crystal will help disperse that blockage. Whereas maybe you're experiencing a lot of um, sporadic energy. There are crystals that harness and calm energies. There are crystals like fluoride and amethyst, which help with all the thoughts, um, lepidolite. So they can really support healing with something tangible, which I think is so important, not only for physical body, but also the mind your etheric body. Yeah. So essentially the crystals are holding space for a specific frequency or vibration. Exactly. They're, they're directing energy. They're diffusing it. They're uh, calming, maybe slowing it down Mm -hmm. like black tourmaline, for example. Um, It's known as a crystal that helps transmute negative or slower moving energy to positive, faster moving. And it's like slate like structure helps move it. Fascinating. I know. Do the um, there, I know there's raw and there's polished or polished. tumbled. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you, yes. Do you, uh, in your experience, does the processing of the the crystal change the frequency at all? I prefer raw crystals, but then certain crystals, when they're polished or maybe carved or cut, they it actually brings out more of their essence. So it totally depends. Like it's not a bad thing if something's polished. Um, Certain things you wouldn't even get to see their full kind of sparkle and radiance without being polished. So I would say raw, I love just because I like things more kind of just in that natural state. But there's a beauty to polish, like lapis lazuli. If you look at a piece of polish versus not, it looks totally different. And even though crystals are a lot about the vibration, I would say the the most important thing is how they feel and how they vibrate. The look actually does matter mm-hmm. too. Like there's something that's important about color shine. And does the size of the crystal? Not always, but just like um, certain buildings that are really grandiose and, and majestic because of their size can create the effect so can crystals. Mm-hmm. So again, something that's not so black or white. Yeah. Right. So sometimes size can make a difference just because there's more matter, but then oftentimes the smallest crystals can have so much power. Yeah. Like I have a piece of spirit quartz I got two years ago from the Tucson gem show. That's where I go every year. And out of all the things I came back with, that was my favorite. And it was literally like just a little point with some purple spirit on it. Very cool. Yeah. So I'm looking and seeing that you did a, like what looks to me like a traditional undergrad education at Johns Hopkins University. And I'm curious, what did you study there? Public health, actually. Public health. So health was always my number one value because at an early age, I saw a lot of family members not really taking care of themselves or their bodies. And I kind of saw the effects of not practicing self-care money and all that, but then 
not a quality of life. So I knew that health was so important because without health, you don't have the means to carry out your purpose Mm -hmm. fully. Yeah. So how did you sort of find yourself back? I feel like there might be listeners who have gone a more mainstream and a conventional, right? High school, college, maybe grad school. Now they're working and they know that there's something else out there for them, but maybe it's a little bit scary to take that step in the direction of what feels like unknown or it feels like no guarantees there. So can you talk to us a little bit about your journey? Yes. So I think oftentimes when we really get involved with the strong current of society, we lose our individual kind of link to our wisdom bodies. We stop following our intuition. It almost dulls down. And the way to come back to that, I think almost in a progressional stance is to one, start moving toward things that feel good and away from things that don't feel good. So it's like if your job is causing you stress, if you dread going, that's something that doesn't feel good, right? So to take an action to change that, like maybe it's talking to someone to change your schedule, maybe it's quitting, whatever that is. So start navigating on what feels right, what doesn't feel right. And that kind of desire body will connect strongly to the intuitive body. So your wisdom body, um, so then you can start to know like the I know sense of self where it's like, you know, because you know, and it doesn't have to be justified or, you know, have logic and desire. Uh, but a way to get to that body is through using your, your feeling first. And also we live in such, especially if we're in cities, we live in such a mental body focused space where a lot of people are in their head or simply like talking from throat to mouth, but the link down below is kind of missing or maybe the crown's not open. So to really watch the mind and watch the thoughts through practices like yoga, meditation, other things, maybe it's exercise, some type of a breath to physical movement activity. So you can start to observe the mind and then it doesn't become such a dominant force. So it's almost like toning down the mind, turning up the feeling and using both desire and logic to reach your wisdom center. Mm-hmm. and use your intuition. So I had a meta question that came up while you were describing that experience, which is, can you work with somebody who is looking to go into this transition in life, whether it's you know, out of one relationship or into another or out of one career and into another? Is that something that the crystals could be used for? Definitely. I would say keeping balance during transition is so important because oftentimes change throws us off balance and it's just about coming back to center so that we can then take a step forward from a balanced position. So I would say the crystals will definitely help anyone going through transition, whether it's small or large, help them rebalance, whether they need physical rebalance, maybe they need guidance in which crystals can be used for readings. So just like tarot cards are used as divinatory tools, crystals can be used as tools to connect to spirit. You've done a lot more than just crystals. Can you tell us a little bit about your past and what led you to specifically wanting to focus on crystals? Yes. So 
I think that as healers, which we all are, it's important that we carry a tool belt. And sometimes healers will have a specific tool that they really master. And that's like their focus and their craft, their art, their singular tool. But then others have a diverse, it's almost like a box of crayons. Like Mm -hmm. how many different colors do you have in your box? So yes, I would say crystals are one of the many tools that assist, but I don't think any one modality encompasses everything. Mm-hmm. So yes, in addition to crystals, I use light work, Reiki, pole dance as means of empowerment and getting people to move, teaching people to move, uh, yoga, breath work, meditation, past life healing. It's all very familiar and very related. Lindsay and I were talking just before we started recording about how we both are integrative healers and how they inform each other. Yeah, and it's the echoed message of the show, right? There's no one way of healing. It's many routes of healing, and sometimes you need crystals, and sometimes you need Reiki, and sometimes you need physical touch, and sometimes you just need to move. Right? It's whatever yeah. the situation calls for. And sometimes you need to sit and be still or mm-hmm. lie down or be silent. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of value in silence. Ironically, I'm talking about the value of silence. And it's kind of like the human life. We don't only need one thing to feed us, right? You can't subsist just on rice alone for very long and live a balanced, healthy life. So you need lentils and you need greens and you need whatever you need for your body. But healing for me feels that same way. It's not one-stop shopping. Yes. I love that you guys are talking about this because for so long, I would almost have this sense of, I guess it was a form of self-judgment of well, why can't I just stick to one thing? And each time I found a new modality that really resonated and that I felt called to practice, I'm like, oh, this is it. Like Mm -hmm. energy, light work is my thing. I'll be doing this for 10 years. And then sure enough, about two, three years later is when I switched to another tool. So it's nice to hear your analogy, Casey, and just the power and benefit to having multiple tools rather than a singular focus. So you talk about it's, you know, every two or three years you're in a new modality. Well, when I think of life, I I don't think of ever stopping learning. And so, you know, when you look at the trajectory of a life and what you're doing at two years old is very different than what you're doing at four is different than what you're doing at 10, 14, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. So To me, it just really resonates that I would continue to learn different things. And yes, you can go deep down one. And we need that too. We need the whole spectrum. I'm curious if you have any observations that you've made whilst practicing different modalities where one informs another or where you experienced something with the crystals that you felt in Reiki, or where you were in Reiki and a crystal called to you? Or have you ever had an experience where there is a sort of interplay of the different modalities? Yes, definitely. So pairing crystal healing with Reiki sessions, with aromatherapy, sound, hands-on touch, hovering, all goes so well together. And I think if you boil things down and just really get to the simple question is, what's going to help this person heal and what tools do I need to do that? And it's pretty simple because once you have the intention of what you're doing, then whatever tools you need, will you'll know what to use. So it's good to have options, I would say. 
And just on the subject of what you were saying, Casey, with how it is important to be changing because what we do at two is different from four and 10. And then it is important to really dive deep into a specific route, but then also keep evolving is I noticed that people have different callings. Mm -hmm. So my teacher, for example, she's a specialist in hermetic Kabbalah, which is the Western mystery tradition. It's the great work. And that tradition, I love it so much because it pulls on so many traditions, yoga, Jewish Kabbalah, like mysticism, Eastern, Western philosophy, uh, so many different modalities fit into this tree of life. So she, I feel, teaches teachers who then branch off. And so she's very close to like the tradition and the source. And then it's, I think of it as a flower. Like some people like say the center of the flower is an ancient tradition like yoga, or let's say, well, let's just take yoga as an example. It's like the traditional form from the shamans of like how yoga came about. Some people are really true to that. And maybe they're, we never have access to them. They're like in India in a cave, but then a Westerner goes out, talks to this guy in India in the cave, gets some wisdom. Then he teaches and shares it with other teachers. And then it's just this like, almost like a sunflower radiating out. So I think knowing where you are on that flower is important. It's like, are you one that's meant to be interfacing with the mainstream and helping people who may be in the wrong job, like transition to their calling? Or are you meant to be like in that cave, like embodying and living the wisdom? And so just to know like kind of where you are is important. The awakening of a healer, I guess it goes hand in hand with the awakening of a person, right? Not just as a healer, but as a person. And I feel like one of the goals in this life is to be awakened and to be more conscious of that there is more out there than what life presents us. And knowing where you are in that journey is huge. And for a lot of people listening, you're listening to this for a reason, right? We want to reach people, not only healers, not only people that are in the healing community, not only people that are, are looking for alternative ways of finding healing, but also people who just want to learn more and awaken a little bit in their consciousness and to find a place to start to explore and to think critically about life and to broaden their knowledge and their horizons of what's possible. And so I think that analogy used about the flower, it plays in the same sense that people are on a certain part of that flower in their own awakening and realizing where they are is huge. And realizing that any idea or any moment in your life can spark the blooming of that flower. And it's just knowing that it's happening and being aware that it's happening and being open to the fact that it's happening is setting you off in the right direction. Yes, yes. And I think, as you guys know, all of our wisdom is contained within us already. So it's just a matter of polishing off maybe some tarnish that got on our gold. And to know that I like to think of the fruit analogy. So it's like, you're a pomegranate, you're a grape, I'm a melon. And just to know you're who you are and just be that. And I think above anything, I like that the quote in Hamlet, the Shakespeare, to thine own self be true. So if you're true to yourself, that's the highest expression. And to just accept that's you, everybody else has their own self or their own purpose. So mm -hmm. yeah. And if we're all living in our highest selves, then that awakens us to connect more deeply with our experience. 
Yes, because there aren't the barriers of illusion or falsehoods that stand between your true self and the self you're embodying or aspects, fragments of self. And that way, as more and more people can really embody their true selves, then they can connect without all the the limitations or barriers in between. Yeah, there's a lot of comparison. And when you're living in that world of, oh, I got to be this or I got to be this or this person is this and I'm not, you're not being authentic to yourself. Right, right. right. And I I think the authenticity is is contagious. When you're with someone and you're being your authentic self and you're speaking to your own truth about who you are and how you go about being in this world, that can inspire someone else to be in their authentic self as opposed to like, I'm going to put on this front and this facade and be someone that I'm not. And of course, someone's going to echo that right back to you. When we are tuned into our true self, our deep self, our soul self, whatever we want to call it, then we operate without a lot of stress and effort and anxiety because we are being guided, because our path is open and we are open, we become like channels. I think part of why this journey of finding oneself as a healer can be long and intricate and painful for so many of us in the West is because we aren't raised thinking that we are all healers thinking that we all have our own internal compass that will guide us and that we can trust it. Somebody else is telling us what direction to go in when and where and why. And so like you were talking about, there's an excavation that has to happen, much like uncovering a beautiful crystal. And right now I'm holding in my two hands, moonstone, green moonstone. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to tell us about moonstone? Well, moonstone comes in many colors and forms, sizes, but it is such a powerful crystal with the energy of water and air. It's very feminine, but as you felt, it does create a lot of space for you and it's calming and it can almost be that breath of fresh air. Like when you open a window in maybe a stuffy room or you may need to be a little more flexible or fluid, that moonstone can have the effect And it's also a crystal that because it's very feminine and watery, airy in nature, it can have that effect on your vibration. It's known as kind of the love crystal where you attract maybe lovers or past lovers back. So I remember I had a moonstone ring two years ago. (laughs) OJ's like, I'm going to put those moonstone pieces down right now. (laughs) But I had this ring that I got and literally within a day, I heard from four past romantic partners. Wow. Years past. Hello. All in one day. From, I'm not judging it either. <laughs> oh, but this moonstone does not have that effect. That was the ring. Gotcha. And that was white moonstone. Gotcha. Yeah. This is more for, you know what it does because you could feel it. Yeah. She, she gave it to me and she said, what do you feel? And I sort of sat with it for a second. And because there's no time limit on these things, there's no like, you have to answer now, you have to feel within 10 seconds or you don't feel anything. You sit with it and you wait for what you feel and something might come up. And what came up for me was light and airy and up and open. And so I sort of expressed that to her. Different than what you're holding now. Yeah, this rock in my hand (laughs) that weighs 45 pounds. I'm now holding garnet. And it's like a, what do you call this? This is way more than a dodecahedron, but I think that's where my limitation stops on being able to name geometric shapes. 
but this is a many-sided sphere. OJ, do you want to talk about the garnet? Because you were holding on to that for a minute. Very different than the moonstone. This one is way more grounding, way more in, way more in my body. And as soon as you switch over to the moonstone, you can really feel the difference. And so I wanted to talk about vibration a little bit. Everyone has a vibration. And a vibration is energy. And everything is consisted of energy, is created of energy. And 99.999% of our body is space. There's these atoms and these molecules, and there's so much space in between them. I'm reading A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, and he talks about how the space in our bodies is compared to the space in the universe. How it takes, I don't know the exact numbers, but the light from the moon can reach the earth really quickly. And the light from the nearest sun next to our sun takes like something millions of years. And so the space in the universe or the space in between planets and stars and whatnot is very similar to the space inside our bodies, how these little atoms have so much space in between them and there's energy that vibrates in between that space. And if we tune into it, we can tap into the energy and the vibrations that our body is giving off and emitting and every thought, every emotion, every feeling, every person we come in contact with, every animal, everything has a vibration. And if we're sensitive enough and if we practice, really, we can really tune into those things. Yeah, and I love how you guys just you know, in moments we're able to get those feelings and vibration sensations. And that's exactly how crystals work. They're unique to each individual. Um, So just because uh, an amethyst does one thing for someone, it might have a different effect on you. And I like to think of crystals as different foods. Certain foods are uh, recommended, like maybe berries are good antioxidants, but maybe you don't resonate with blueberries, but the majority does. So mm. you just have to really... I, I would say work with crystals and try working with one at a time for a few days, journal your observations, and then move on to the next one so you really understand what each one does. Can I ask you, if you're working with a crystal, is this something that you can put in your pocket? Is this something that you need to have touching your skin? Can it be in your handbag? Where? How does one work with a crystal? That's a great question. So first thing you want to do when you receive a crystal, whether it's from a store, from a friend, you find it, is there are three C's. So you want to clean, clear, and charge. So cleaning is literally the physical. Maybe it's dusty or dirty or needs some polishing. So you would run it underwater if it's water safe. And some crystals you don't want to put in water because they'll dissolve. Uh, so just checking, you know, that it's water safe. Uh, you rinse it, dry it, and then clearing energetically, you can clear with incense, um, Palo Santo, herb of your choice, smudge it. Um, and that is like a reset. And then charging could be under the full moon with like a shamanic breath, whatever form you want to charge your crystal with. And so that way you're raising its vibration to its highest, vibra its naturally highest structure. Because crystals like people they their vibrations can change like if it's sat around or it's been in a room where maybe someone passed away it could definitely change the essence of the crystal so i would say do those three c's and then like you said casey you want to have the crystal with you at all times and in its closest possible place 
So when you're sleeping, you could put it on your body or under your pillow. When you're working, you could have it on your desk. When you're walking, you could have it in your pocket or your bag. So just to work with a crystal, keep it in its closest place to you. I love what you said about tuning into the crystal yourself and how for some people, they may feel one thing with a crystal and for the person next to them, they may feel something different and that there is no right or wrong with the crystal and there's no judgment behind what you, uh, you're you feeling. And I just remember when I first started getting into crystals and energy and whatnot, people would pass a crystal around and say, oh, you're supposed to feel this. And I would touch the crystal. I'm like, I don't feel that at all. Am I Am I not sensitive enough to pick up on these things? But what you said is great because it's like you, you may not feel what someone else is feeling. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means the way your vibration is meeting the vibration of the crystal isn't necessarily producing the same thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that goes for energy as well. It's like if someone may be sensitive to Reiki and that you get touched by someone that's has a really high vibration and you're like, oh my God, I can feel that. And for someone else, they might not be able to feel anything. Right. And so being exposed to energy and frequencies, again, there's no judgment. It's just whatever resonates with you. And you may be sensitive to it and you may be way more sensitive than the person you're next to or you may not be. And that's okay. And it might be different today than tomorrow. Totally. Or next week or I mean, the subtle energy that we all are connected by in this universe isn't something that we're taught, again, in Western culture to tune into. Right? We're taught to tune into the tangible, to the tactile, the harder, bigger, faster, stronger. And you really, in order to tune into the subtle, you have to pull back from that. You have to pull way, way back and listen with the most delicate ears, the most sensitive ears. And by ears, I mean all of our senses. And so when you use crystals or when when you receive crystal work, you might not necessarily feel everything all at once. Because the body, everybody's body has different layers of armoring and different trauma and different stored emotions. And so for everybody, it's going to be a little bit different. And it might be different in May than it is in June and July or January. Yeah. You yeah. can't yeah. force it. Yeah. You can't, you force, can't it. force it. But if you're using it, there is the frequency, there is the vibration. So it is having an impact on the subtle body. Whether you feel it Whether or not. Whether you feel it or not. Mm-hmm. I did want to ask you, Lindsay, just for our listeners, is there any harm that can be done with the crystals in terms of, you know, is there a way to like use the wrong one or anything like that? Or is there such thing as too much, too much grounding? Too much attunement? Too much something? I think with everything... There's always the room to go to too much extreme. So I almost like to think of energy work as psychic surgery or say you have 10 different healers working on you at once. What one healer kind of helps with, maybe the other healer changes that. Say you're having a surgery, right? One surgeon does certain things in your body. If you have 10 others working on you, they might be like, wait, I thought I left it like this. Why is this part here? So I do think with crystals having too many or trying too hard to get a result from a crystal, I like when I was very new to it, I'd be like, I'm going to work with so many crystals. And I had them all over my body, like covered head to toe, selenite. I was vibrating. <laughs> but what I realized is chakras or energy centers are like faucets. So you can have the faucet on too much and the water's gushing or most in most cases it's not open enough kind of just dripping like our centers are closed but what i realized is my energy wheels were just 
spinning a little too fast because mm-hmm. I had a quite a bit of crystals all over and I would do it every night and go into these really deep connecting meditations with these guides. And it just felt like overkill, but I was so excited to be diving into the world of crystals. Um, so I do think that that there's a place where you can get, there's a potential to go out of balance with them. And as you uh, get um, more into studying crystals, certain crystals are for growth. So if you're treating more serious cases like cancer or an infection, you wouldn't put a fiery or growth crystal on a tumor. Or if somebody has you know, some type of a bacterial infection, you're not going to put, like I said, the fire on that. Or if someone's energy, if they're more on the feminine um, spectrum, like they need to come back to balance with the masculine. If you cover them with feminine crystals, it's going to take them even more off center. So there are subtleties that you do have to be aware of in crystal healing that I think is important. I think that as a healer, as healers, your clients, you're ready for the people who see you. You're prepared. Yeah. And that's why back to my first point that schooling is important and actual um, studies. So you can not only intuitively know, but also know by learning in an organized setting. Mm -hmm. There are some crystals out there like quartz, for example, that magnifies or strengthens other crystals around them or other vibrations around them. Does that work the same for like sickness or illness or anger or emotion? Right. So clear quartz, for example, Mm -hmm. right? That amplifies the energy that it's with. So it can also be purifying. So do you give somebody who's really angry a clear quartz? Maybe not because then it could amplify that emotion. But then on the flip side, maybe it helps purify and clarify that. So I think it is this balance between knowing what the crystal does property wise, but then as the healer, you have to use your intuition to decide. It's almost like a prescription. Mm-hmm. crystal prescription. And certain crystals um, like malachite, it's a crystal that really deeply works with depths of the heart, rhodonite. So sometimes people aren't ready to go that deep into mm-hmm. like the deepest, darkest parts of the heart space. So maybe it's like using some rose quartz first and then slowly, gradually letting the healing unfold. Certain crystals are much more like pierced to the point or their vibrations so high, like phenakite, maybe like once I had that on my third eye, but if you put phenakite on someone's third eye, that's like not vibrating at a certain frequency, that could be too much stimulation. And if someone wears a crystal all the time, should they really try to get in tune with whether or not they want that crystal? Like if they have a piece of jewelry, I have a necklace that has Moldavite on it and I I wear it a lot. There's times though where I'm like, no. It's too intense. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a thing. Yes. And I think it is important just like any practice you undertake or any practice habit to constantly check in and be like, is this still serving me from when I first started wearing it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to be okay to like not wear that necklace for some time. Lindsay, what is this piece here? I've been holding this. That one feels great. I, I, it totally feels great. And I also realized like I'm going somewhere outside of this room. So I'm going to put this down right now so I can still co-host this show. <laughs> what did we have? It's beautiful. It's like an aquamarine green. 
with purple. Is it lab- labradorite or um, this is actually rainbow fluorite and rainbow it's a big fluorite. slab of it oh, it's, from yes. Colorado. It's like a piece of French bread. and yes so this actually so purple fluorite and green fluorite Uh together are super uh, in general they can calm the mind it's almost like a vacuum for your mental body and it the purple fluorite helps you reach meditative states Mm -hmm. so you're perhaps third eye is going your crown's opening and hence you're maybe drift, you know, you felt that way. Uh, but this crystal, so one time I had insomnia and I used that lepidolite sphere along with the rainbow fluorite on either side of my head. And it literally, I could feel the rapidness of my thoughts going. And when I laid down with the two crystals, it just felt like it sucked it away and I could sleep. Mm. And it was literally like a if I don't have them with me, I'm not sleeping tonight. If I do have them, I am sleeping. And so then from that place, right, so that people are clear that it's not like a drug that you're going to get addicted to, right, where you can't sleep without said crystal. The crystal is systematically rebalancing whatever needs it so that then you will come to a time where, okay, the work is done or I've gotten back to a balanced place and now I can sleep and I don't need two crystals, one on each side of my head. Exactly. Uh-huh. It And it would almost be like if you were seeing an Ayurvedic practitioner because something went off balance and they recommended an herbal treatment, you wouldn't be on that for life, right? You would take it until you came back into balance. So I think that's a perfect point you made. Did you want to talk about how to set up crystals um, in your home? I have a ton of crystals. And a lot of them, I don't know the names of anymore because I threw away the little paper that I got with them. So did you want to talk about how people can go about utilizing the crystals that they do have in their own homes? Definitely. So with uh, crystals, you want to do the three C's. So the clean, clear charge. And then... Wait, wait, wait. Can I back this up a sec? Can yes. I just ask the question of if you're not receiving it as a gift or if you if it hasn't come to you, say you have there's somebody who wants to go out and buy a couple of crystals. Can you first talk about how to choose a crystal and then how to set it up? Yeah. Yes. That's a great start. Like, how would you even get the crystal? Right. So I like to recommend going into a place that has crystals available and without kind of reading the labels or having the clerk lead you to something because, you know, say you're like, I'm here because I can't sleep. What crystals are good? Rather than putting it out there, just see what you're drawn to and go by first section and then maybe color and maybe type. And then whatever you're drawn to out of the hundreds or thousands in the shop, that's what you need. And consciously, you might not know why. Like you might think, oh, you know, I need the lepidolite because I can't sleep. And I know that that's an anti-anxiety crystal because it has like natural lithium and all that. But maybe the reason that you can't sleep is something rooted in a past life and you need, you know, like red amethyst or scolocyte to clip the root of what you are processing or defining as your issue. So that's why it's important to just choose the crystal that you are attracted to that you keep coming back to. doesn't matter the color or what it says on the label. And then get that crystal or crystals, probably, right? Multiple. And 
that's when you want to come home with it. And intuitively, you're guided on what to do with the crystal, I would say. But say you don't have that intuition coming to you like, oh, I should use this crystal for healing or I should use it for downloading information or or whatever the use is, then you can wait for the answer to come, like spend time with it, kind of like what we were talking about. But then it is helpful to maybe get some resources, like go to a class on how to create crystal grids or read a book or do kind of get some guidance if you're completely lost. Like for myself, I kind of just know what to do with them. And for a while, I'm like, oh, I think everybody knows what to do with them. But maybe it's not a natural thing to just be like, oh, yeah, I should arrange it like this. So getting some guidance is helpful. But know that crystals, you can make altars with them. You can use them to set intentions. Uh, You can use them for ritual healing, uh, divinatory methods. Like sometimes when you sit with a crystal, it'll have messages because within each crystal, they're crystal spirits or devas. So keepers of the crystal kingdom. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Did you want to tell us a little bit about your virtual practice? Yes. So I love to read, do readings at events with crystals because it's in person. The physical crystals are there and crystal readings are like healings and readings in one. So you're receiving the healing from the crystals and you're, we're downloading messages, but virtually I do readings so with or without the crystals. And then I am coming out, this woman and I are making a Crystals 101 online course. So kind of like, you just got some crystals. What do you do to get started working with them? Yeah. Is, it, is there a, um, a timeline for that? Divine timing. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect answer. We'll keep the listeners updated when it comes Hopefully out. Hopefully we'll... spring or summer. Gotcha. Great. Cool. 2019. Yes, definitely 2019. (laughs) I have a question. I was told years ago by a friend that to sort of feel if a crystal resonates for you, you put it in your left hand, which is the receiving side, and you hold it to your heart. And if you're drawn to lean forward, you're drawn to the crystal. And if you sort of push back away from it, then you're sort of repulsed by it and it's not. Is that a guide that you've heard of? Is that one that People I haven't heard of, I've heard of the receptive hand, but I haven't heard of that particular method, the leaning forward or back, but it makes sense because you can use your body as a pendulum. So like if you say a yes or no question, like my name is Casey, and then you no, lean forward. <laughs> You're Lindsay. Right? So if I said, my name is Casey, I would lean back mm-hmm. if I were doing the pendulum. If I'm like, my name is Lindsay, I'd lean forward. So I think that that could be definitely a way like a muscle tool Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and maybe if the answer is not coming right away you could try that okay (laughs) we have some (laughs) some cats partaking in our conversation (laughs) the cat's name is jewel Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. jewel very fitting right jewel and shira and shira what does shira mean a song in Hebrew, which I didn't know oh. when I named her. Very oh, cool. cool. Like it, it's the translation is song. Got it. When you told me that in the beginning, I thought that you were saying that it is a song, meaning there's a song, Shira, mm. right? Uh-huh. Okay, song. Yeah. Beautiful. And she, for a while, she would not meow 
and she wouldn't make any noise. So later in life was when she started communicating. You're here, Shira. Mm -hmm. You're in good company, girlfriend. Lindsay, if we want to find you, well, we know how to find you, but if others wanted to find you, what are the best ways of getting in contact with you if they want to set up an event? If they want to set up, you've mentioned that you do events and that you do group workshops and that sort of thing, as well as individual sessions. So how can people find you? Yeah. So I would say um, my work, like we talked about, is always moving and dynamic. So all of my work is at my website, which is lnk-co.com. And the dash is a hyphen. Yes. Yes. Okay. lnk-co.com. And that's all there. And in the meantime, it's a beautiful website, by the way. It looks oh, great. thank you. Yeah. Are there any crystal books or resources or websites that you can point people towards that are looking to learn more about crystals? Yes. I've loved a woman named Judy Hall. She's British. So any book by Judy Hall, she's done multiple crystal Bibles. And so it will tell you history of crystals and it goes by each type. So it's like amethyst does this. And so that's really helpful. And then my teacher wrote a book called Everyday Crystal Rituals. So that one, I'm partial, of course, because she's my teacher. Tell us her name again, your teacher. Naha Armadi. Naha Armadi. Is that available online? Amazon. Amazon. Um, any place you could really get books online. Very cool. Yeah. And I forgot to ask you earlier, but how important is the sourcing of the crystal? Oh, that's a whole other door, which I always go to the big crystal show in Tucson every year. And the first years I'd went, I, I'd gone, I was just so excited about the crystals. But then like the coolest part about going to the show is that you meet the people who are either working on the mines or family members of the miners. And one thing that's come up is crystal ethics. Mm -hmm. Like a woman told me, she's like, oh yeah, there were 40 miners killed in this lapis mine in Afghanistan, yet they're just there with the crystals and yeah, you don't want those. Yeah. So it's like, we have to be aware of where they're coming from and how we're getting them. But at the same time, how do we know there's not systems in place that really, there are a few people who are working on mining ethics, but you have to go by what the miners tell you. And right. I think in that case, you have to use your feeling, your intuition, because there's no real regulating bodies at this time. Yeah. But I think it's so important. And also this doesn't happen so much to me, but I've heard of people getting fake crystals. So one way, you know, like real quartz versus glass is if it's really cold at room temperature, then it's real. But if it's warm or kind of neutral, then it's probably glass. Are all crystals cold at room temperature? I would say so. Yeah, I haven't. Um, I'm trying to think pyrite. But maybe it's because it was in my hand and I had warmed it up. But that one, right? That's was the gold. It? Yeah. They that used one to I call feel it like is a little fool's gold. Yeah. I can remember going to a science museum in second grade and coming home with a piece <laughs> of it. So excited to show my parents that I had gold. That yes. I had like with my $7 allowance or whatever it was at the time, <laughs> I had purchased this little tiny memento and they were going to be so proud of me. Um but is that one? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. So I actually, that's a great question. I know for sure quartz 
it's because quartz is in so many forms. So chalcedony is the microcrystalline form of quartz. So it's still that six-sided repeating structure, but microcrystalline or cryptocrystalline or chalcedony is you need a microscope to see the pattern. So like agate or other forms could be quartz, but you won't see the faces because it's microscopic. What about crystals that are, I think they're dyed or? Yeah, some crystals are dyed, so they're colored. Certain crystals are baked or heated. So naturally forming citrine, that looks pretty natural. But if you see a piece of citrine, like I have up there, see how it's darker? Mm -hmm. That was baked. Mm -hmm. Like that's not naturally um, and it's also like matte, that like darker, it's like a matted color. Yes. Like the, it, it looks baked. Yes. I can see that now. Yeah. And then there's a crystal called Marian. Um, it's the darkest form of smoky quartz. It looks black. And to tell if it's been treated or dyed or in that case, it would be irradiated, which you don't want to get crystals that have been treated with radiation because mm. imagine that goes into the crystal, what it comes into your field as um, certain actual uh, places like caves where crystals grow, there's natural radiation. So the natural radiation does darken sometimes, but you don't want to or try to avoid crystals that are irradiated by humans right. post treated. And the way you can tell is that if you hold the crystal up to the sun and it's completely opaque, there you can't see any variation, like any whatsoever different shades or inclusions or fractals or anything coming through. Most likely it's been irradiated. Yeah. And does the dyeing or the baking change the frequency of the crystals? I think so. Yeah. So avoid. Yeah. And like, for example, that citrine, um, for my purpose on this altar, it's okay for my use. And if you see any type of a citrine geode at a crystal shop that looks like a deeper orange, it's been baked. Gotcha. And there's a difference between heating something and then putting radiation into it. Right. So the baking is is okay. Why are crystals baked? It's to bring out their color. Okay. Because if you look at natural citrine, it's not as deep and rich in color. Varied. Right. You yeah. don't see all of the striations. Like you, it would look like that. A smoother transition, mm -hmm. not layered like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it is beautiful though when it's baked. <laughs> <laughs> and even bismuth, if you look at raw bismuth, it's just, it just looks like silver or aluminum or kind of like this pole here we have frame in the center of the mic. Uh, but if you bake it, that's what creates the bismuth towers. Ah. So if you've seen those cool like Tetris looking crystals i'll show you guys later it's because it was heated whoa there's one crystal that i'm thinking of and of course the name is escaping me it's black and it is fairly recently discovered i think in in russia and it's a very lightweight and it's matte color and it's highly detoxifying as most black crystals are i imagine but it's not tourmaline do you have any idea what i might be trying to say um, I'm trying to think. I think it starts with an S. Yes, it definitely but starts I'm with an forgetting. S because that is what it was coming to me. But, um, yeah, um, maybe we can look up the name, um, but that is shungite. It's shungite. Oh, shungite. Yeah. Good that's call. not new though. 
is it ancient? Is it, is it synthetic? Is it something or is it, um, you know, I particularly haven't worked with, with it Shungu. myself, okay. but I have a colleague who swears by it. Like it's her deep, like she holds two big pieces in her hand and it's super detoxifying and it helps your intuitive awareness. And it's such a powerful stone. So I would say, got it. That's, yeah. If you're yeah. attracted to that, to definitely work with it. It's a good crystal for healers. Shungite. Yeah. Okay. Are there crystals that are man-made? Yes. Yes. What, what are your, what do you have to say about that? Um, like I have a piece of strawberry sapphire, which is man-made. I think it all goes back to your intention. Like what are you drawn to about this man-made structure? And it kind of reminds me of, of just life in general, where it's like you have nature, you have like the crystals that are from earth and you have things that man makes like buildings and tools. So, you know, nature, just a piece of wood is wood in itself, but some synthetic fabric or material made by people could still serve a purpose if you know what your intention is. So I would say don't rule them out completely but also be aware that you know what you're dealing with. What am I dealing with? I have something in my, I have a cube oh, in my hand. Yes. So this is a naturally forming pyrite cube from Spain. Hey, hey. So pyrite. that looks like it is cut, right? Because it's so Come smooth on. and so perfect. That's natural. Lindsay. Isn't that cool? Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a picture of it and we'll post it along with the uh, with this podcast, it, it is a cube. Yes. Well, it's a rectangle. And pyrite in general is such a cool stone because it takes so many forms. So you'll see the dodecahedron version. You'll see the cube. You'll see a pyrite sun, which it's still under question of exactly how a pyrite sun forms. And I, I'm going to get that piece of pyrite for you when we're done, okay. when I can move from the mic. But it literally is said to form between two rocks like this. So because it can't grow up or down, it grows out. So it's called a pyrite sun or a pyrite uh -huh. wheel. And then you have clusters. So the crystals are formed from the elements. And because not all conditions are the same, every place, everywhere, mm. you get different outcomes. Mm -hmm. Wow. I totally thought this was spliced, cut, sliced diced. Isn't that cool? That's actually part of why I was like, ah, right. She hands us these things and OJ took the garnet and I was like, oh, I guess I'm left with this silver block. <laughs> and even those, have you guys seen the green fluorite? I have, I'll show you guys some, but the, um, octahedrons. Okay. Those are natural. Cool. Cool. So certain things you think, oh, this was cut, but they're actually not. Even some quartz points mm -hmm. are so perfect. And you think, oh, they were cut, polished. That reminds me of one other thing that was introduced to me 20 years ago, literally 20 years ago, that is a natural occurring shape, a fairy cross. Do you have yes. any familiarity with Starlight. Starlight. Yes. What can you tell us about that? Okay. So starlight for me connects me to the realm of fairies. So like the sprites, the air elementals, and it's said to be more rare if you get a starlight that's actually a cross rather than an X. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so those, I believe, uh, one source is Russia and those you don't want to rinse in water because they can kind of erode over time. Oh, good to with, know. Yes. Okay. Um, but yeah, those are magical. They're also found in the eastern United States in Virginia. It's like a very small area geographic area but they're that. they're found in the u.s as well yes and one cool thing about going to the shows where vendors from all over the world come is to see such a melting pot or i like to say a kaleidoscope because maybe they're not all melting together but they are in harmony is that you have all these people from so many different cultures so many backgrounds like i went from one tent with two guys who had woolly mammoth horns super they told a racist joke to like the next tent which was a metaphysical guy who was channeling like an alien tongue and it's like you get this vast character of of people but all united by crystals and stones and it's funny how like certain crystals can be found in completely like diverse parts of the world like oh this crystal is found in russia but it's also found like in the u.s Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Fascinating. We're all yeah. people. And how the earth, you know, how the earth is dynamic and like new crystals are surfacing once they're mined out and collected, they're not there the next year. So to know like what's abundant, what's scarce, what came up, but it's not going to come up for another, who knows. Right. And that all goes Thousands. back to o- OJ's question about sourcing yes. and yes. Right, ethical sourcing of crystals. Yeah. Oh, so. I, I have more crystals that I'm going to bring to you guys when awesome. we finish. I want you to hold some. Awesome. Yay. Thank you, Lindsay. Yeah. What a treat. This has been a true treat. This was great. We, we could literally talk crystals all day, <laughs> um, but we're going to save you guys from uh, our excitement a little bit. And thank you so much for being here, Lindsay. It was an honor. It was a pleasure. This was fun. Yeah. Many thanks. Thank you guys for having me. I had such a blast. Yeah. Oh, before we we wrap up, Lindsay does have a podcast herself. Yeah. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I started the Cowfish Show with co-host Eric and our podcast is on exploring human evolution, raising consciousness, and just starting with everyday conversations of bigger themes that come up. Uh, So yeah, it's called The Cowfish Show. And uh, you could find us on Instagram, Facebook, anchor.fm slash The Cowfish Show. Cool. And that's cow like moo, cow, Mm -hmm. and then fish like fish. Yes. And there's a restaurant apparently on the East Coast. It's called Cowfish. (gasps) But uh, Eric is a Taurus and I'm a Pisces. So that's how we came to The Cowfish. Ah, Cowfish. Yeah. What's your saying? I'm cancer. cancer. So what are you? Cancer ram. <laughs> crab ram. Crab ram. Ram crab. Doesn't quite work. <laughs> Not like catfish. <laughs> we'll stick with the way of healing. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you, audience. Thank you. And warm blessings and crystal explorations. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you, guys. Thank you for tuning in to The Way of Healing. We hope that you find yourself inspired. If you enjoyed our show, a gift is to let others know. And we want to hear from you. Please share your feedback so we know how our work is resonating. Make us aware of modalities and practitioners whom we may not know. If you haven't already, please subscribe at thewayofhealingpodcast.com. Our email is thewayofhealingpodcast at gmail.com and find us at facebook.com forward slash thewayofhealing. Remember, a rising tide lifts all boats.